0: This is what I think of the president's plan to
1: send terrorists to the United States. You guys are such drama queens,
0: man.
2: God. Well I don't know why I tonight? Send terrorists to the United States. Something right. I'm so scared in case i fall off my chair.
1: Scared. There is a lot of and fear out there.
2: I'll get Clowns to the left me. Because to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From
1: Pacifica Radio in lovely Los Angeles, this is your broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast And 106.7 FM Queso in Cozy Cottage Grove Out in Pennsylvania on 93FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster. Out in Hawaii on 88.5FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, the Twin Cities on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, coast to coast and blanketing the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices channel on Netroots Radio, on Indie Media Weekly. FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, uh, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Welcome to another thrilling adventure that we like to call the Bradcast. Uh, Desi Doyne, is uh, Leopold standing by? Is he yes. On the, okay, good. He's he's just back from Gitno, Gitmo not long ago. <laughs>
2: and that's yeah, it's actually a pretty good Freudian slip. Gitmo, no, no, Gitmo.
1: Yeah. We will be joined by him uh, momentarily, Jason Leopold of Vice. Uh, in the meantime, Des, i got to get right to you, uh, our producer, Desi Doyne, my co-host on the Green News Report, which we will have. We will have one of. Yes. A little bit later. You uh, betcha. And very good. You got some audio from this uh, this guy, the Saudi Arabian guy.
2: The Saudi Arabia oil minister is what he's known as. Yeah,
1: whatever. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, well, I like that uh, because we've been talking about the, the the plunging price of oil, and the the reason is because the Saudis are are refusing to decrease production, because the theory was they want to essentially starve out the the. Uh, the fracking business here in the U.S. because they can produce oil more cheaply, they can afford to lose money for a while. They've for got a enough long up oil, time, right. It
2: turns out, yes. Yeah.
1: So we'll have some audio from from that guy actually saying it out loud, saying uh, "U.S. producers go to hell." That's kind of what he's <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, a new uh, a new trick by Big Coal to screw over the miners. That they uh, the coal miners that they pretend to care so much about, and uh, a bunch of other stuff. Sea levels rising faster than ever. Oh, that's great. Uh, Some shots at Bill Gates. That'll be fun.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, And not about Windows, right?
2: (laughs) Well, not yet. Anyway.
1: But the reason I wanted to get right to you, Desi Doyen, was to say happy birthday, Desi Doyen. Thank
2: you very much. And
1: can I say? Am I allowed to say that it's a? It's a? Absolutely not. It's a. (laughs) Big birthday? No, you're I say, not say I can't to say, say that either. Okay. All right, I won't say that. We'll, we'll edit that out later. Make a note. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Also, well, what would you like? What do you want for your birthday? Um,
2: Anything Well, actually, I you're... I would love for people, I, I wouldn't discourage anyone from yeah. dropping by bradblog.com slash donate uh-huh. to say hi. Well done. Well so done. That, that, I, that, that, right. that might be what I would Smartly say.
1: Smartly done, Desi Doyen. Happy birthday to you.
2: Thank you.
1: Uh, okay, and uh, what, what better way to celebrate your birthday? <laughs> Then to talk about Gitmo. Uh, My favorite. I know you love it. Uh, President Barack Obama's last ditch effort to follow through on a pledge he first made as a presidential candidate and uh, memorialized in an executive order that he signed days after he was sworn into office was finally laid bare on Tuesday. According to Vice's Jason Leopold, in a nine-page closure plan submitted to Congress, Obama presented his outline for shuttering of the detention facility at Guantanamo Bay. The long-awaited plan was a year in the making, went through at least one revision, was mandated by Congress in an annual defense spending bill signed into law by Obama last December. That bill known as the National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA, specifically prohibits the administration from using any funds to transfer Guantanamo detainees to the U.S. for detention or prosecution or to construct or modify any facility in the United States, its territories, or possessions to house any Guantanamo detainee. Tying, thus tying the president's hands, hard to believe they would have done that to oh, let's say, a President George W. Bush, but that they did. Uh, In any event, the president put forward his plan this week, and here was uh, a a comment or two of his uh, from the White House upon releasing that plan.
3: For many years, it's been clear that the detention facility at Guantanamo Bay does not advance our national security. It undermines it. This is not just my opinion, this is the opinion of experts, this is the opinion of many in our military. It's counterproductive to our fight against terrorists because they use it as propaganda in their efforts to recruit. It drains military resources, with nearly $450 million spent last year alone to keep it running. Guantanamo harms our partnerships with allies and other countries whose cooperation we need against terrorism. When I talk to other world leaders, they bring up the fact that Guantanamo's not resolved. Moreover, keeping this facility open is contrary to our values. It undermines our standing in the world. It is viewed as a stain on our broader record of upholding the highest standards of rule of law.
1: Yeah, but other than that, it's pretty good. Uh, they, of course, Republicans were quick t- to react on Tuesday. Oh, this guy, Pat Roberts, uh, famously now, I guess, posted this uh, video of him crumpling up the uh, the plan as delivered just, just moments after Obama actually sent it over to Congress, tweeted the video of this. Do you have that uh, clip again?
0: Pat Roberts. This is what I think of the president's plan to send terrorists to the United States.
1: Very good. Very. So, oh, very brave, very brave of Senator. He just crumpled that up right on camera in front of everyone on Twitter. He uh, it's just he has, of course, Senator Pat Roberts, a Republican from Kansas. He's been a critic of Obama's promise to close Gitmo and to move the uh, detainees to prisons on U.S. soil instead. So that's what he means about uh, his plan to send terrorists to the United States. But last year, uh, Roberts gave his opinion about moving uh, some of these prisoners to Fort Leavenworth, which is in Kansas, the military prison in Kansas. He wrote a letter at the time to Defense Secretary Ashton Carter, explaining that they mustn't move those prisoners to Fort Leavenworth. Fort Leavenworth is neither the ideal nor right location for moving Guantanamo detainees, Roberts said in the letter. The installation lies right on the Missouri River, providing terrorists with the possibility of covert travel underwater and attempting access to the detention facility. Because apparently ISIS is now James Bond. (sighs) Anyway, uh, there are legitimate reasons to oppose Obama's plan in this case, and uh, it is not just Republicans doing so, it is Democrats as well always rallying together, aren't they? Uh, Here to talk about all of this now is Jason Leopold, investigative journalist, now raking a lot of muck these days with Vice News over at Vice.com. He's the author of the L.A. Times bestseller, News Junkie, a memoir... But, of course, we love him best because he's been described as a, quote, "FOIA terrorist by officials., uh, thanks to his years long string of amazing Freedom of Information Act requests that he's been filing often with incredible results. Just to ask Hillary Clinton. in any event, Jason is uh, has been reporting on and from. Guantanamo Bay at various uh, times over the years, most recently at Vice in his piece headlined Obama unveils Guantanamo closure plan to immediate criticism from all sides. Who would have saw that coming? So in any event, he is the perfect person to talk to about all of this today. Hey, Jason Leopold, welcome back to the broadcast, sir.
0: Hey Brad, how are you? And it's good to be back with you.
1: Great to have you back. It has been too long. Uh, before we get into the Gitmo, let me just ask: Who was the first to describe you as a quote FOIA terrorist? How did that come about, or, or is that just urban legend?
0: No, that's uh, actually the uh, the FBI and uh, all of the requests that I've been uh, that I filed over the years with the FBI. Uh, I also what I call filed what I call a, a meta FOIA. Uh, to get the documents about my request, to see what they were saying about my request. And it was within those requests that I found that they said that I was uh, uh, terrorizing their staff (laughs) by filing so many Freedom of Information Act requests, and then the response to one was, he's a FOIA terrorist.
3: Uh, Wow,
1: that's amazing. So you you filed a request... Uh, for something or other, and then filed another request to see the documents related to them dealing with your original request.
0: Exactly. What wow. I called the meta FOIA. Wow. And uh, in, in other documents, you know, the DOJ, Department of Justice, you know, said that I was part of some FOIA posse. Uh, so, you know, I know they're talking about me behind the scenes.
1: Nice. FOIA posse. Good band name. All right. Let's get into. Yeah. Uh, let's get into Gitmo here. Uh, so o- o- Obama has uh, he is now both mandated to present a closure plan on Gitmo and he's not allowed by Congress essentially to do or spend anything in order to close it. Is, is that is that correct?
0: That is correct. And by the way, I should mention, I just returned from uh, Guantanamo about a week and a half ago Oh, uh, just to sort of see how things are are shaping up over there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, that's exactly right, Brad. I mean, uh, when he signed the National Defense Authorization Act uh, into law in December, uh, there was language in the NDAA that... Said that uh, n- uh, no Defense Department funds can be used by the administration mm-hmm. uh, to transfer any detainees to the United States. It cannot be used to construct any new facilities or upgrade any facilities, even uh, at Guantanamo. Uh, and you should all—I should also note that the word "plan" or "closure plan" really should be in quotes because mm-hmm. because this uh, uh, document, this nine-page document that President Obama presented to Congress is more of a framework and a goal. It does not rise to the level of a plan by any means.
1: And and I want to get into the specifics of that in a second, but just to clarify, he is, he's mandated to come up with a plan that he is not allowed to actually carry out. I'm understanding that correctly?
0: Yeah, Yeah. so in the NDAA, uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the language in the legislation said that uh, even though you can't do any of these things, uh-huh. we would like you to present to us your, your plans for closing Guantanamo, since we know that is a, uh, uh, a policy initiative that you want to fulfill. Uh, so in the meantime, even though you're not allowed to do any of these things, we'd still like to see what your plan looks like. <laughs> That's what Congress was essentially saying. Yeah, so,
1: I guess so. Uh, so little
0: democracy at work.
1: Yeah, and therefore little wonder that it's been characterized as dead on arrival uh, by by Republicans uh, and uh, many Democrats alike. Uh, it, it was legislated to be dead on arrival, it sounds like. All right, but what, what if anything, is new and different about this latest plan uh, submitted by uh, President Obama to close Gitmo as compared to other efforts that he has made over the years?
0: Great question. It's actually a question that I asked uh, senior administration officials mm-hmm. who had a preview of this plan uh, in a, in a uh, background briefing call with reporters before it was unveiled. Uh-huh. Uh, the only uh, the only notable change uh, in this you know quote unquote plan uh, are cost estimates. So previous closure plans or previous plans that you know President Obama has presented or discussed publicly, uh, since uh, he was sworn into office in 2009, did not uh, have any of the cost estimates of what it would actually take or what it would actually cost to transfer detainees mm-hmm. out of Guantanamo and bring them to the United States and to hold them in in facilities uh, here operated by the Department of, of Defense or the Bureau of Prisons. So this plan now actually says. It would likely cost as much as four hundred and seventy five million dollars uh, to upgrade facilities here to do that. Uh-huh. In the end, down the road, it would ultimately amount to a you know between sixty five and eighty five million dollars annual cost savings. Uh, and those are actually figures that we had not uh, ever seen before. so we we did not get uh, get an opportunity. The public did not get an opportunity, nor did Congress. To actually see what what a closure plan would cost taxpayers.
2: Mm.
1: Okay, so now now we know that money eventually could be saved, along with uh, all the other upsides of closing Gitmo. Uh, the the plan identified thirteen potential facilities in the U.S. for the purpose of uh, of building that cost estimate. This is based on a survey that's been was taken by the Pentagon over the past year or so looking at facilities where prisoners might be moved but it didn't specify any specific site in the US where prisoners should be relocated. And that led John McCain, who was once a proponent of shutting uh, Gitmo, to criticize the plan as, quote, vague and not credible. Now, has McCain simply completely flipped from his formerly uh, strong advocacy for shutting the place? Or is his critique that this plan is not credible actually not credible in and of itself? He has not. He he has not
0: uh, flipped by any means. John McCain and, you know, some other, uh, a few other lawmakers, and this, by the way, goes for some Democrats as well, they still do want to see, you know, uh, they they would, I should say, they would support a closure plan. The problem here, Brad, is that President Obama, in his last-ditch effort to try and make good on not just a campaign promise, but on an executive order he signed in 2009 to shut down Guantanamo, really did not offer any details. Uh, and for a year now, one year, uh, this administration had been saying that they would present Congress with a plan. How are they going to do this? How are they going to actually, uh, you know, hold people? Mm-hmm. What would that look like? Uh, what is the facility? What facility have you chosen, um, Pentagon, to hold detainees? That was a kind of a cornerstone of the closure plan. Well, uh, so because this plan did not include any real details mm-hmm. uh, about that, um, lawmakers and actually some human rights groups have actually said that this isn't really you know, much of anything. Uh, what it is, Brad, at least as far as the human rights groups are concerned, is simply just moving Guantanamo into the United States. Uh, it's, it's simply just sort of changing the zip code. Uh, so there's there's nothing that's really substantive here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, President Obama has uh, uh, signed an executive order uh, uh, that uh, basically it turned indefinite detention without charge or trial into the law of the land. He still will, uh, you know embraces military commissions. Mm-hmm. although that is the only other notable part of this plan, which is an admission that the military commissions have been costly, hugely costly uh, and disastrous, uh, and that the administration may seek legislative uh, fixes to the Military Commissions Act. Uh, but that's really it. So what Congress had been waiting for and what human rights groups uh, and, and advocates of, of closing Guantanamo have been waiting for is to actually see, you know, some sort of substance about what is really different here Than what this administration floated in two thousand nine, we all we already knew that they that they wanted to close Guantanamo, move detainees to the U.S. Mm -hmm. But what's going to happen? How is that going to look? How how will that look? uh, What will that look like? And and the laws need to change.
1: And and Jason, I think that's a fair, obviously a very fair criticism. And I think uh, I I do want to note that Democrats uh, themselves, congressional Democrats, played a key role in keeping any of this from happening i mean harry reid was you know leading the charge right along with the republicans years ago to make sure that no money could be spent to close gitmo despite uh you know obama's plan or i'm sorry obama's promise to close gitmo with all of that said uh even if he had come up with a more specific plan as you describe if you got Republicans and Democrats in Congress vowing to not close this place would it have actually made any difference uh you know if he had submitted a 1000 page plan with every detail uh, on this matter would it have made any difference in other words i think there's plenty to criticize obama about in in this matter the the treatment of prisoners during his uh, administration the treatment of prisoners down in uh, guantanamo but this idea that he has broken a promise, broke his uh, you know, campaign promise from seven years ago by not closing Guantanamo, that actually seems wildly unfair to me. Am, am I wrong on that?
0: No, I, I don't think you're wrong at all, Brad. And I, actually, it's really important that you made the point that Democrats had uh, went along with this. I mean, de- Democrats were actually in the majority for some time, if, if everyone remembers that, mm-hmm. before Republicans uh, bec- uh, you know, took the majority in both houses. So when the administration had been presenting its closure plan or talking about it, you know, it was not, uh, uh, it, was, it, was, it was certainly was not supported by Democrats. And all of the legislation in the National Defense Authorization Act, even when Democrats were in the majority, also contained, you know, uh, prohibitions against more or less closing Guantanamo. Right. So it's been very, it's been very consistent over the years. I will say this, that I think that if if there was a plan that was submitted perhaps a year ago, um, John McCain, you know, would have at least taken it up uh, and tried to win some support for it. Uh, He's been very vocal about, you know, wanting to shut down Guantanamo. uh, But ultimately, you know, as you noted, I personally don't think that, you know, even if you had somebody like John McCain, no, I don't think it would have made a, a difference at all. And and the thing is, is that the public, Brad, really has sort of you know become kind of fatigued about Guantanamo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was very interesting to see the response to this plan. There was certainly plenty of news coverage, but there was you know th- 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 that that was more or less it. You know, it, it fell flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, you know, it it had a couple of hours of, uh, uh, of of attention, and and that was it. And and look, in an election year, you know. Is President Obama going to put all of his uh, resources into you know, seeing this, uh, this policy fulfilled? Or is he going to try to get a, you know, a Supreme Court nominee in there? I don't think uh, that he can do both. Uh, it's going to be one or the other. Uh, and another thing that's really important to note here is that, you know, it really wasn't until 2013, Brad, that uh, at the height of a hunger strike, Uh, That was about uh, still less than three years ago, the height of a mass hunger strike at Guantanamo, when the president really started to say, hey, we need to do something about this facility. So there were a number of years that were were wasted
1: there.
0: uh, In the end, I still think it would have been difficult.
1: Jason, I know uh, Jason Leopold of Vice.com. I've got you just for another minute or two. I know i got to get you out. Uh, so let me uh, real quickly see if I can fly through uh, just two or three quick questions. Uh, or, well, I'll try. Um, the yeah. uh, You have, as you said, you were just down uh, in Guantanamo a few weeks ago. Uh, my understanding is there's just 11% of the total prisoners who had been Uh, captured and and placed there. Uh, Just 11 percent now remain. That's 91 people, 35 of them waiting for foreign transfer who have been cleared for transfer at this point. Uh, So this is a big fight about just a few people, actually, who who would be left. Um, Were you allowed to speak to any of the prisoners while you were there? Uh, and And what can you tell us about about them? and then I want to get very quickly your thoughts on the military men and women down there, and their thoughts on this prison and whether it should be shut down.
0: Sure. Uh, we're not allowed to speak to any of the detainees, uh, and that's due to if you can believe it, the Geneva Conventions in which the military says that they're not allowed to sort of you know trot out any detainees ah. uh, due to uh, uh-huh. the, uh, Geneva Con- convention protections. I was allowed to observe. Some detainees uh-huh. behind one-way glass. Uh, I spoke to a cultural advisor who works there, uh, who basically said that uh, it's been somewhat calm. Many of the detainees are, you know, they've seen uh, uh, quite a large volume of uh, prisoners being transferred. They're all wondering when their turn, uh, what, what their turn, when their turn will come.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the administration, by the way, uh, did say that they believe that they can actually transfer these 35 who have been cleared mm-hmm. uh, by the summer. So they, they feel that they can actually get everyone who's been cleared, Brad, out of Guantanamo uh, by the summer. And they also uh, you know, feel, as you noted, that in the end, the, the real selling point about this uh, to Congress is, look, we're only talking about a handful of detainees. Um, it's going to cost taxpayers, uh, you know, uh, tens of millions of dollars uh, over the years. So, do you really want to, you know, spend that kind of money on, on just a handful? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, they're hoping the you know Congress will respond to that. But in terms of the you know the military brass and mm-hmm. the, you know, military officials down in Guantanamo, uh, you know, there there really wasn't any reaction by them. I mean, you know, they're they're they've got their talking points. They're they're very set with is which is you know we're carrying out a mission. We're fulfilling mm-hmm. our duty. Uh, we're not involved in the politics. Mm. If the president hands us an order that says that says close Guantanamo, we'll carry out that
1: order. All right, la- la- uh, you know, they- la- la- yeah. last point. Uh, since I know you got to go, last point. Uh, speaking of those politics, I guess uh, you know this plan clearly dead on arrival, uh, as you note, Jason. But. There's been talk of executive action that could be taken by the Obama administration to shut down the prison on his own. Now, both his uh, secretary of defense, Ashton Carter, and uh, A.G. Loretta Lynch have both recently acknowledged that the president's hands may be completely tied due to these uh, legal restrictions passed by Congress. So are you aware of what they are talking about, these rumors that seem to persist about executive action? What are they thinking? How could that possibly be done, that he could shut it down on his own?
0: Uh, Another great question, Brad. Uh, Yes, they're thinking, uh, first of all, that, you know, they're they're saying that they hope Congress will, uh, that he won't have to do that, and they wouldn't even say whether he would. But they are thinking that, as commander-in-chief, that he can do this, because it would be in the national security of the United States to shut down Guantanamo. Uh, I believe that the Office of Legal Counsel probably has an opinion out on this. (laughs) Uh, But uh, they... You yeah, the 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 belief, at least on the administration's side, is that President Obama is commander in chief of the armed forces. This is a national security issue. Uh, it's in the in- national security interests of the United States to do this, and he can act unilaterally. Uh, you know, it's the it's the same sort of uh, legal rationale that the administration has for why they believe they can hold detainees in the united right. states and that they would not be afforded protections under the constitution because they believe that they can sort of hold up the 2001 authorization to use military force mm-hmm. which says you can you know hold people indefinitely until the end of hostility that's questionable as well but uh that that's their, uh, uh, that's their belief. Yeah. So
1: invoking the president's commander in chief uh, powers, a constitutional commander in chief powers that was cited so much by the Bush administration to allow them to do whatever they want. In fact, uh, I think to set up uh, Guantanamo in, in the first place, arguably. Uh, Exactly. going to be a very interesting uh, year Jason Leopold I I look forward to speaking with you again soon Uh, you are always uh, great and helpful and clarifying on this matter Jason Leopold investigative journalist from vice.com check out his work there and of course follow him on the Twitters each and every day at Jason Leopold Jace great speaking with you my friend look forward to doing it soon
0: you as well Brad thank you so much you bet
1: Okay, a quick break, and we're back with more Crazy Straight Ahead. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so, now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time only contribution.
2: crazy. I'm crazy for feeling so Welcome back to your
1: Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com I'm with you here. Crazy indeed. Uh, the crazy New York Times editorial board. Uh, it, actually, sounding when I read this today, I was like, oh, is this from bradblog.com? I mean, they are using words over at the uh, New York Times editorial board now that are kind of amazing. Uh, They wrote, uh, Senate Republicans lose their mind on a Supreme Court seat. Now, that is true, but again, it's something you might see at Bradblog, not necessarily at the New York Times, but good for them. Following the death of Justice Antonin Scalia, Senate Republicans apparently believe they can profit by creating a political crisis that the nation has never seen before, On Tuesday, uh, the leadership doubled down on its refusal to take action on any nominee from President Obama to replace Justice Scalia. Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, the majority leader who seems to have lost touch with reality. And the Constitution accused Mr. Obama of plunging the nation into a bitter and avoidable struggle. Wait, what? Yeah, lost touch with reality.
2: But the fact that they're... Accusing the president of putting the nation.
1: But that's what McConnell is doing, not the New York Times. Yeah, right. Uh, for forget an up or down vote on the Senate floor, top Republicans are pledging not to hold hearings or even to meet with a nominee. We've talked about this quite a bit over the past week or two since Scalia died. But the New York Times then goes on to say these statements are so twisted that it's hard to know where where to begin. New York Times calling them twisted. Until now, neither party has ever vowed to shut down the nomination process entirely, even before it has begun. And they go through step by step and explain how the Republicans are absolutely wrong in all of the claims that they're making. Uh, They go on to conclude these Republicans have stubbornly parked themselves so far to the right for so many years that it is hard to tell whether they can hear how deranged they sound. Wow. The New York Times calling them deranged. Yes, they are. Yes, they are twisted. My only question to the New York Times is, what took you so long? Where you been? Remember all those years when I would talk about the Republicans being uh, just going off the reservation, uh, being deranged in, in, in how they were doing? And I was called, uh, what was I called? You know, everything in the book. Oh, the crazy leftist, liberal, communist.
2: Radical, strident. Right,
1: Strident unlike those proper people at the uh, at the New York Times those erudite academics and professional journalists who Anyway, uh, they go on to say the truth is they are afraid, the Republicans, and they should be. They know Mr. Obama has a large pool of extremely smart and thoroughly mainstream candidates from which to choose a nominee. They know if the American people were allowed to hear such a person answer questions in a Senate hearing, they would wonder what all the fuss was about. Yeah, they would. And that's why they don't want to have the hearings. So Mr. McConnell and his colleagues plan to shut their doors, plug their ears and hope the public doesn't notice. The Republican spin machine is working overtime to rationalize this behavior. Don't be fooled. It is panic masquerading as strength, says the New York Times today. Uh, Well, good for them. For, I'm i I'm, so, yeah.
2: I'm a little surprised that there hasn't been a massive ad campaign, at least not one that I've seen anywhere yeah. that says to Senate Republicans, "Do your job."
1: Oh, there will be. Don't worry. If there hasn't I, I already, I hope there yeah. is.
2: There hasn't been that I've oh, seen, but be. I would hope that these uh, the, that these groups that do care so much about it will actually launch a campaign much along the lines of what we see with the Koch brothers front groups that are spending so much mm-hmm. money uh, fighting to to perpetuate this crazy myth.
1: Yeah. Well, there will be. And I've seen some of them already. I've seen these emails, you know, tell the Republicans to do their jobs. Send us money. So, yeah, that's coming. Don't you worry. In the meantime, uh, Obama is not making it any easier for those groups to uh, to get in there and do exactly what you're talking about, Desi Doyen, because if The Washington Post is right about this and they seem to be, at least according to some remarks from Harry Reid, speaking of Harry Reid, who tied the president's hands on uh, on on Gitmo years ago? Uh, he, he's kind of screwing him over here again. Uh, so, c- according to you know things that Harry Reid is saying, that Senator Dean Heller from Nevada is saying, it kind of underscores this. This report may be true from the Washington Post that the White House is vetting Brian Sandoval, the Republican governor of Nevada, who once labeled President Obama's signature health care. Uh, health health law as quote unconstitutional. So they're considering to take Antonin Scalia's place, a Republican governor. Now this might be some kind of uh, like
2: a trial three, balloon,
1: three-dimensional chess that uh, they claim Obama is so brilliant at. I disagree. He is not. I think he's the worst negotiator ever, and I think he's doing exactly that right here by. Uh, you know well he would be doing it if in fact he nominated governor Sandoval. We talked about him just a few weeks ago on the show Des we were talking about Sandoval. He's the guy his public utilities commission in Nevada where he's got three cronies some of whom happen to be lobbyists uh, working for him lobbyists for the utility commission and uh, three appointees of his on the utility commission just raise the price Charged to uh, to to rooftop solar owners, residential rooftop solar owners.
2: Right, the uh, Public Utilities Commission in Nevada, like you said, appointed by Brian Sandoval, the governor. They pretty much have decided to to kill the rooftop solar. The industry and, in Nevada and
1: mission accomplished the, we had uh, who the the uh, the spokesperson from Sunrun, one of the big solar uh, residential solar companies on this program talking about how they were basically closing up shop. they're closing up shop uh, Elon Musks what's uh, solar, solar solar city, city yeah. they're getting out of Nevada uh, thanks to Brian Sandoval and uh, he's he said but that's not the only problem with Sandoval. Uh, he said that many aspects of the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare are unconstitutional. His record on unions is while relatively moderate compared to Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, says Ian Milheiser over at Think Progress Justice. Uh, in his 2015 state of the State address, Sandoval called for collective bargaining reform. State lawmakers responded to that call with a uh, with a, a package of reforms that uh, were labeled Union Armageddon. Sandoval also signed a law exempting schools from paying construction workers a prevailing wage. Uh, I mentioned already his Public Utilities Commission and what they've done uh, uh, to kill solar in the sunny state of Nevada. Uh, Milheiser says that uh, Sandoval may be especially likely to strike down Obama administration policies that would temporarily permit nearly 5 million undocumented immigrants to work and continue to live in this country. Sandoval said Obama has overstepped his authority by going around Congress to protect 5 million undocumented immigrants from deportation. And that's fine. You know, that's his opinion. But that question may come up before the Supreme Court. And, well, I guess it seems like we already know Sandoval's answer on this. So he may be relatively moderate compared to most of his wingnut fellow Republican governors. But, you know, he's taken, as uh, Milheiser points out, a hard line on uh, some of the president's signature achievements. He said the idea of voter ID law is a good one, uh, making one wonder why he would even be in consideration at all. I guess the reason is, oh, because they want to show how. Uh, you know, willing they are to work with Republicans and uh, maybe make it more difficult for the Republicans to keep their pledge to not even hold hearings on whoever Obama nominates, much less have a, a an up or down vote on him or her. But uh, that's not going to work either, according to Politico's uh, Burgess Everett, Senate Majority Whip John Cornyn. Immediately when he was asked about uh, Republican Governor. Brian Sandoval, would you turn him down? He said it doesn't make a difference if Sandoval is the nominee. They're still not going to hold hearings. At least that's what he claimed. Now, so this is just wrong, 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 wrong. It's, uh, you know, Sandoval is wrong on the issues that progressives are concerned about. He's wrong on the issues that Obama says that he's concerned about. But it is this is just bad politics because now Republicans can say, oh, look, see, we didn't do this because we were trying to, you know, keep out one of Barack Obama's crazy leftist uh, nominees. It's the principle of the thing. We we even refuse to allow a Republican governor. To be heard, you know, to be nominated, because that's just how much we believe in the uh, right of the American people to be allowed to ring in with their vote first this November.
2: So essentially, uh, instead of it being necessarily a trial balloon to see just how nuts the Republicans were going to be on this, the trial balloon, it sounds like, gave them an opportunity and another bargaining chip to say, see, we're not going to cover anybody. Well, it, the
1: In my opinion, that's what it has done. I don't know what the reason was for it. Maybe it's legitimate. Maybe it was one of these uh, trial balloons to see how it goes. If it was, my opinion is it went terribly. You don't do it, Uh, at least not without something in return from the Republicans. I have said for so many years that Obama is the worst negotiator ever going back to 2007 go go check out bradblog.com i'm not going to go i don't have time to go into the details here but i pointed out back in 2007 he's the worst negotiator ever now he's gotten better over the years moderately but in general this supreme court thing shows what it, it always is he's negotiating with himself you know republicans they're being unreasonable okay i'll help them out i'll come to their side a little bit before they have offered to do anything in kind. That's what he has done from day one. And and the Republicans never do anything in kind. All it does is to serve to move the entire issue, the entire debate, to the right. So uh, if it was a trial balloon, my verdict on that trial? Fail. Terrible idea, Brian Sandoval. Now, as of this afternoon... Sandoval has said, I do not wish to be considered for the Supreme Court job. Okay, good. Uh, He he says he notified the White House that he does not wish to be considered. I don't know what happened there, but that uh, just before airtime, he pulled himself out of consideration. That's good. But, uh, you know, just the whole idea that Obama is even willing to do something like that shows just what a frankly a I think, a terrible negotiator. Last week when we were talking to Ian Milheiser on this program about the death of Antonin Scalia and we were trying to figure out, well, what happens with those cases of his that have not been, that he already voted, that Scalia already voted for, that have already been heard in the Supreme Court, that he already voted on, but that have not been released yet. Uh, well, Milheiser and others told me that, yeah, in fact, if the uh, decision hasn't come down, if it hasn't been made official, if the ruling has not been published, then his vote would not count. Then Scalia's vote would not count. So a lot of the cases that were going to be five to four are now going to be four to four instead. And they will uh, stick with whatever the lower court was. Well, that was good. But I'm still I was at the time dubious. I asked the uh, Milheiser, are you sure? Are you sh- is that a law? Is that? Because I would not put it past Justice Roberts, John Roberts, to say, well, you know what, on this one, he already voted, he already wrote his opinion, so we're going to go with uh, what what Scalia said. Milheiser laughed at that. He thought that that wasn't going to happen. That was out of the question. Well, apparently it is not out of the question, at least according to a bunch of uh, right-wing nuts. And I would say that they were nuts and we could uh, just ignore them completely, except they're kind of high-ranking nuts In the uh, Republican hierarchy of nutbaggery, including Hans von Spakovsky. Now, people who have read uh, Bradblog.com for years or listened to the show know that uh, Von Spakovsky is one of the big, one of the leading right wing GOP voter fraud fraudsters. Uh, he and and John Fund wrote a book, you know, pretending that dead people are voting all the time, that uh, Democrats are double voting, that there's this epidemic of voter fraud, that that's why they must institute photo ID restrictions. In fact, Von Spakovsky was at the DOJ. He was actually appointed to the Department of Justice by the Bush administration, by George W. Bush, at the time they were considering the very first Photo ID uh, restriction, the one down in Georgia. And despite the fact that all of the career attorneys at the DOJ said, no, absolutely not. This will uh, disenfranchise minority voters and the elderly and so forth. Von Spakovsky led the march as the uh, political appointees to say, no, no, it would be great. And in fact, that photo ID ruling was allowed to go through in Georgia, and that has become the precedent for all of these other ones since then. In any event, Hans von Spakovsky was on some right-wing uh, show uh, last, uh, last week, and he was asked specifically about Scalia's votes. Here's what von Spakovsky had to say.
2: Many of these cases, as I understand it, have been decided, but they haven't been made public. So in other words, Justice Scalia has already weighed in uh, on these decisions, but they, but they, there's a certain. The way it works is there's an announcement date when all the decisions are made. But now they have to go back and kind of rework these, right?
0: Well, I'll tell you that this, there's no rules on this. This is all unprecedented, Sandy. And I tell you, if I was the chief justice, I think he has an absolute obligation to. Um, uh, enforce the vote that uh, Justice Scalia gave on cases. After oral argument in, in, before the court, uh, the justices leave the courtroom and they go to a conference room in the Supreme Court building and they take a vote. So that's the point at which they know how a case is going to be decided and the Chief Justice then makes assignments of who will write the majority opinion, etc. Et I think the Chief Justice has an absolute obligation <laughs> to give credit to uh, Scalia's vote in those cases uh, that, that have already been decided, uh, even if he didn't uh, write his opinion yet, because they know See? how he would have voted.
1: See, there you go. He's that's uh, Hans von Spakovsky calling for uh, f- calling for them to use the uh, Scalia's votes, whatever they may be, even though Scalia is dead. There is an irony here that Right Wing Watch points out. Uh, They say we can't help but point out the irony that Von Spakovsky has been one of the primary drivers of the myth that massive voter fraud requires suppressive laws that make it harder to vote. One of the voter fraud specters he has raised is that of people casting votes on behalf of people who have died. And here's Von Spakovsky saying, yeah, let's count this dead guy's vote. Do we know that that's how he voted, actually? Well, no, we don't. Does it matter that sometimes, as Milheiser pointed out last week, sometimes, uh, you know, they cast their vote after they hear the oral argument and then they go about writing their opinions and they see what the others have to say. And sometimes they change their votes before the opinions are uh, before the opinions are released, before the decisions come down. But Hans von Spakovsky doesn't care. He thinks we should count them no matter what. Yeah, we know what Scalia would have done. Let's just go with that. He's dead. Well, it doesn't matter. We'll, we'll just go with that. And von Spakovsky, despite sounding like a, a James Bond villain name, uh, he is not alone. Uh, an Arizona attorney at the beginning of this week uh, proposed that uh, the late Justice Antonin Scalia's votes in cases pending before the Supreme Court should still count, even though he died, according to uh, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, television station KPNX. This is attorney Corey Langhofer said uh, during a discussion in Phoenix. He said there's no Ouija board required to figure out how Justice Scalia would vote on these things. We're at the second to last step in how these cases unfold when Justice Scalia died. We know exactly what he thought, and it's not unprincipled to say that we should give effect to that. Langhoffer said, "Uh, think about it in the legislative context. If you had the closest vote possible, 50-50 senators evenly divided, the vice president cast the decisive vote before the president signs it. If one of the senators dies, what do you do? It's the same thing here. Well, actually, no, it's not the same thing here, because, in fact, if that were to happen in Congress, the bill would have passed. It would have been done. It would have been gaveled to a close. The uh, the Speaker of the House would have signed it or the, the, the President of the Senate, however that works, would have signed it. It would have been done. These votes in the Supreme Court are not done. Uh, so anyway, there you go. I'm tossing this out here. Because while Milheiser laughed at the idea of John Roberts doing this, I wouldn't laugh at the idea of John Roberts doing this. I wouldn't put it past him. And as far as I know, there is no actual law, statute, uh, nothing in the Constitution about it. If John Roberts decided to come out and say, you know what, we, we thought about this. And on these, it was very strong. Scalia was going to go this way. We're, we're going to go ahead and release it with his vote. Don't be surprised at all. Just saying, just tossing that out there. We'll see. I've been right on these things before. Maybe not this time, but we'll see. All right, a quick break, and we are back with birthday girl Desi Doyen for the Green News Report and more right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Yes, it's your birthday. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com celebrating Desi Doyen's birthday. I know. Happy I guess birthday. I get a
2: special, special yes, song to do. make up for the fact that I have to work on my birthday. Yeah,
1: well, <laughs> you didn't have to mention that. That's true. Uh, and and once again, just to be clear, I, I can't say what birthday this is, right? Right. And I can't even say that it's a really big birthday. Right. right.
2: You cannot say that.
1: Okay, well, we'll once again, so, we'll, we'll so edit that out. don't say up. that. Okay. Uh, before we get very quickly to the Green News Report, Desi Doyen, you um, This swarm of tornadoes over the past several days, it's not in our Green News report, uh, but kind of extraordinary. What what, what are the numbers here on this?
2: A very unusual tornado outbreak for February in the United States. So far, it looks like at least 52 tornadoes have been reported, four of them in Virginia, three down in the south, and sadly, at least seven people have been killed. Um, some of them were very, very strong tornadoes. EF2s, EF3s, very unusual. Virginia had its first ever yeah. February tornado on Wednesday. Um, so February this is tornadoes.
1: Sad. Is it normal for there to be tornadoes? I mean, this seems very early.
2: Only in the southeast, only along the Gulf Coast states, right. because the Gulf Coast is, is normally pretty warm this time anyway. The Gulf uh, of Mexico is slightly warmer mm-hmm. than average. Of course, the entire planet, all of the oceans are warmer than average, thanks to global warming and to El Nino. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not unusual uh, to have tornadoes in the southeast. It's mm-hmm. incredibly unusual to have them extend all the way up to Virginia and, in one case, Washington, D.C.,
1: Go figure. And Maine. This is crazy. uh, Maybe people ought to be paying closer attention to uh, our Green News report, including our latest Green News report.
3: It was, it is a simple, simple case of letting the market work. We're going to let everybody compete.
2: Saudi Arabia declines to help U.S. oil companies survive oil's downturn. Big Coal's new trick to get out of paying retired coal miners' pensions... Sea levels rising faster than at any time in the last 3,000 years. Plus...
1: This is a global public good to invent something that can solve this problem.
2: Microsoft billionaire Bill Gates proposes a billion-dollar breakthrough energy research fund. So why aren't renewable energy experts happy?
1: I don't know, but I suspect we're about to find out. All of those stories and more, straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And
2: I'm Desi Doyen.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The Clean Power Plan aims to
0: cut carbon pollution 32% below 2005 levels by 2030. That's not possible. Not without going back to the Stone Age. For one thing, you'd have to stop human beings from exhaling.
1: Well, all I can tell you is that this planet will be better off when Rush Limbaugh stops exhaling. Just saying, this is your Green News Report.
3: Gonna soak up the sun.
1: Okay, Desi Doyen, coal is in trouble. And now oil is in trouble. It's not a great time to be in the fossil fuel industry, it
2: seems. (laughs) No, no, it certainly isn't. And it looks like we are going to see cheap oil for a while longer. At an annual oil industry conference in Houston this week, the Saudi Arabia oil minister confirmed that Saudi Arabia will not cut its own production in order to stop the global oil glut.
3: That is not going to happen because not many countries are going to deliver even if they say they will cut production they will not deliver so there is no sense in wasting our time seeking production cuts let some inefficient supplies decline and eventually the market
2: Those inefficient supplies he's referring to are U.S. oil producers, whose costs are too high to survive much longer with such low prices. Saudi Arabia is keeping prices low in order to be the last oil producer standing.
1: Hey, it's the free market, U.S. oil producers. You guys love that, right?
2: Coal is also in decline in the U.S., with major coal companies now declaring bankruptcy. But Big Coal is using those bankruptcy laws to legally shed their employee pension and health care obligations and the environmental costs of cleaning up closed mines. There was a bipartisan aid package in Congress to restore coal miner pensions and health care. But Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell from the coal state of Kentucky just blocked it.
1: You mean the Republicans aren't fighting like hell to take care of these coal miners who they say they must protect. And that's why we can't get rid of coal, because, oh, the poor coal miners.
2: That's right.
1: They're hypocrites. Who saw that one coming?
2: Meanwhile, a new study finds that sea levels are now rising faster than at any time in the last 3,000 years and that the rate is accelerating, especially over the last 100 years, thanks to man-made global warming. The researchers say if no action is taken to cut emissions, they calculate the ocean could rise as much as 4 feet by 2100 and will continue to rise for centuries. And yet another new study finds that cutting the emissions that cause global warming will also save more money than it costs. That's because it will save lives by reducing toxic air pollution, a leading cause of death worldwide. Researchers calculated that cutting emissions would ultimately save the U.S. economy alone about $250 billion a year by avoiding the health care costs from all the asthma, lung cancer, and heart disease that Americans will not be suffering. Billionaire Microsoft founder Bill Gates this week said he and other billionaires are going to mobilize billions in private capital for a new breakthrough clean energy research and development fund to combat climate change.
1: The group of private investors would bring several billion in uh, so that we can nurture these companies up to a pretty large stage, but we do expect to make money out of them out of this thing. It's great that we have that incentive, the financial incentives to get it out at scale quickly and that's also the climate benefit Uh, requires that same mentality.
2: However, energy experts like Joe Rome at Climate Progress say that while they welcome new research funding, what we really need now is billions for deployment. We already have the technology we need, they say, to transition the world to renewable energy, but we need money to build it faster. And time spent on waiting on breakthroughs could be better spent building wind and solar and battery storage.
1: Yeah, but, you know, the guy who created Windows, for some reason, wants to make things way more complicated. I have no idea why. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: And I'm Desi Doyen. And
1: this has been your Green News Report. Yes, my thanks to producer Desi Doyen, thank you very much, and happy birthday again. Thank (laughs) you. Our thanks to uh, our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and to my guest today, Jason Leopold of Vox.com. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can, as ever, download it for free at bradblog.com or at iTunes, where we hope you'll give us a good review. Drop me some email if you like. I am Bradcast at Bradblog.com, and you can and should follow me on the Twitters and the Facebooks where I am the Brad Blog. Nicole Sandler will be filling in for me on our next thrilling episode covering tonight's GOP debate in Houston with oh, a very this is a big exclusive. Her guest will be can I say who it is, you think? You uh, should. So, well, a progressive radio legend. How about that? Should I leave it at that?
2: No. All
1: right. Uh, Well, Randy Rhodes will be on our next thrilling episode of the Bradcast. You don't want to miss it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.